Oh, here's Barzell. They score! Bo Horvath, his first as a New York Islander. Seven oh three on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Arthur Staple from the Athletics is going to join us in just a second here to talk Rangers. That'll kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, before we talk to Arthur, Jason is going to tell you about Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Yeah, they do both. Take it away, Jason. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is the Canucks. It is the Rangers tonight, 5 o'clock from Madison Square Garden. Joining us now to give us all things blue shirts, it is Arthur Staple here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Arthur. How are you? I'm good, boys. How are we doing? We're well. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've spent the better part of this morning giving the Canucks a collective heads up to uh, keep their heads on a swivel because Jacob Truba will be in the lineup for the New York Rangers tonight. Jason had an interesting question earlier. I'm, I don't know if you remember his days as a Winnipeg Jet all that fondly, but to us it certainly seems like there's been a, an added element of physicality and quite frankly danger since Truba has become a member of the New York Rangers maybe that has something to do with his captaincy or not but uh, have you either noticed this uptick in physicality or is it something that you've talked about with him or he's talked about since landing in New York no I you know I I think it's really just since he's been here and you know I I was um still covering the Islanders when I think he had a kind of his first moment like that as a ranger when he laid out michael del call uh way back when i think in his first year as a ranger and that was john gabriel pajo's first game as an islander and pajo jumped in to fight him uh and i kind of said like huh i you know i don't know truba that well but i haven't seen that too much from him now that i've been covering this team for a couple of years like you said it's we see it a lot and certainly this last game against calgary was kind of the pinnacle of it and i you know in the playoffs there was a lot of talk when he hit Sidney Crosby a little bit high and kind of an awkward hit that he was headhunting and then you know he hit Seth Jarvis in the next round and and I think the thing that we've you know you certainly saw if you were watching it up by you the game the other night against Calgary is these hits affect the game as they did in the playoffs you know it, it throws the other team off it's it's not necessarily well you got to you know there's danger when Jacob Truba is out there. He is, he is going to look to hit you if you're coming across the middle. But guys jump in to defend their teammate that got hit. Uh, they either get an instigator. They got a, Chris Tanev got a roughing penalty. Um, and the Rangers have a good power play. So it, it's all part, I think, of that strategy if you want to talk about it that way. And I know there's plenty of fans that don't want to see the aftermath of those hits like you see Nazem Kadri's bare head bounce off the ice at the garden that's that's nobody wants to see that but but it is it has become a big part of his game and I think also uh you know he was a little bit uh he was playing injured early in the year he wasn't playing very well and he's really had an up and down season play-wise uh scored you know opponents have scored a lot of goals when Truba's been on the ice for the Rangers 
So I think it's a way for him to, to affect some change, and it's something he does well, maybe better than anybody else in the league right now, so he's going to continue to do it. And I think a lot of other a lot of opponents, uh, like you said, I guess they do need to watch out when he's on the ice because uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of players these days are ready for a guy who hits that way, that's for sure. What was it like to be in Madison Square Garden for that Rangers-Flames game? I was telling the listeners, like, if there's a bucket list arena in the NHL to go to, it's Madison Square Garden because the energy of a New York crowd is something to behold. It is, and we've had a couple of those uh, in the last month or so. There was a game against Dallas uh, where the Rangers' Keandre Miller tied it with less than a second to go in regulation, and Adam Fox won it in overtime. And outside of the playoffs, uh, you know, that game and definitely the, the Calgary game at points were the loudest we've heard it in a couple of years, and um, it is still a special place to, to be when it's loud and, and we had a, you know, kind of the best post pandemic post no crowd moment in the playoffs last year when our Tommy Panarin scored the series winner in, in overtime against the Penguins in game seven there. Um, and it is still special. And I think uh, a lot of the guys on the team, some younger guys, you know, Philip Heedle got a, got his name chanted after a second goal the other night. And he was, he was pretty, he was smiling ear to ear afterwards about that too. He has he's never heard that before. Um, so it is a good, it's a good building. It's, it's a knowledgeable group of fans. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, and it's kind of coincided, like we said, the post pandemic era here where fans are back in the building with them being, you know, good after several years of struggling. So uh, it, it is kind of nice to see when and hear when it's like that. I mean, the Rangers are a very good hockey team. They're 28, 14 and three, the third in the metropolitan division, the great goalie in Shesterkin. They've got a ton of guys that can put up points. They have six guys that have 10-plus goals, including two 20-goal guys in Zabinajad and Kreider. And then we at the break, we were talking about their blue line. Like, to have Truba and then Fox, a former Norris winner, and then the emergence of Ke'Andre Miller this season, who just looks like he's taking a real leap in his game. Like, this is an extremely deep and extremely balanced team. I guess the question for that is, do, is there going to be that push to get them over the top to add a really big piece at the deadline? Because there are contenders, and I think the, the Rangers are very much one of them. But it's also a very loaded Eastern Conference, especially at the top. And maybe this isn't the year, maybe this is. How do you see it playing out at the deadline? You know, I think for me, when they're good, um, there's definitely a feeling, um, and it, whether it comes from Chris Drury in the front office or more likely from above him, from ownership, and when this team is good, you got to try to strike. And they certainly had enough cap space to, to fill some important uh, missing spots last year when they got off really kind of, uh, you know, the, the start they got off to last year fueled almost entirely by what Igor Shesterkin did. And this year, Shesterkin has been very good, but it's much more of a, a, a team look that they've got this year, even though they're not quite as high in the Metro standings as they were last year because Carolina and Jersey have been so hot. Um, but I think... The, the push will always be there that if there's space to make a move and get better, the mandate from from ownership is we're going to do it because lots of, you know, they, they made an Eastern conference finals push last year when, when maybe you didn't think they were going to make it. Uh, they didn't, people didn't think they were deep enough. And now when they are a little bit deeper and a little bit, uh, their younger guys are performing at a higher level. I'm sure that the feeling is uh, if they're a piece or two away why not do it? Not, the cap situation is obviously not as good as it was last year, um, but I'm 
you know, Chris Jury is a guy who is going to investigate all leads, and you've seen the Rangers attached in the, on the rumor mill to a lot of different high-end guys. Um, you know, and I think there is a need there. They've, their top line is, is right now it's Panarin and Zibanejad and Jimmy Vesey on the right side. Mm-hmm. So that top line right wing to me is a spot where they could certainly use an upgrade. And obviously a guy like Patrick Kane has been a top line right wing for a long time. Same with Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm. Um, I don't know that they can look at a guy like Timo Meyer, where the, you know, he's, there's probably going to be a long-term contract that comes with it. Um, and they, that's something the Rangers can do, but there are guys that are available uh, at the higher end and the top six on the right side that, that fit a need for them. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to be, that you're going to see the Rangers attached to those guys and maybe a few others as the rumor mill goes on towards March 3rd because uh, there, is a, there is a desire for them to, to add a piece or add a couple pieces to, to make sure that they can try to get back to where they were last year. Uh, in order to facilitate that type of trade, would the Rangers be willing to move the likes of, say, uh, Alexis Lafreniere or Capo Caco? Uh, definitely not Capo Caco. He's his numbers are not great this year, okay. um, but he's he's another one who's like Heedle, like Miller, who's vastly improved this season. Uh, looks like a different player, a lot more confident with the puck. They've got him on a bridge deal for one more year after this. I think they want to see where it goes with him. Um, and I'm, it's probably the same with Lafreniere. He's, he's you know he definitely floated a bit for the first couple months of the season. Didn't seem like he knew what kind of player he wanted to be. Whether he wanted to be more of a, a, a big power forward or someone who showed the the creativity and skill that he showed uh, in his amateur days um but again his he's a you know his entry level deal is up after this year he was probably hoping for a, a tim stutzler like second contract but that's clearly out the window so he's going to have to prove it on a bridge deal and the rangers need guys uh, uh, you know in younger guys that that are not breaking the bank for them uh you know miller needs a new contract he's they're trying to go long term with him i think uh, Heedle needs a new contract, and he's playing like a guy who deserves, uh, you know, something that starts with a four, let's say. Uh, and so Lafreniere, they need a guy who's going to be making a million and a half, two million next year, or maybe even the year beyond that to, to prove himself. So I don't, I don't see them giving up on either of those guys. You know, you probably look at if there if there's an asset that's on their roster right now that they wouldn't, they'd probably be okay moving. It's probably someone like Vitaly Kravtsov who who hasn't seemed to be able to break into the lineup the last few weeks, but does have some skill and. And uh, was another high first-round pick. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that they're ready to give up on any of their roster guys just yet. Uh, and they don't really have a very deep prospect bench. So we'll see what they can get away with in terms of trading. They do have two first-round picks uh, in this coming draft from the ex Dallas's pick from the Neil Lundquist trade before the season. So I would guess that that's probably the pick, uh, the asset rather, that's the most in play for them to try to get one of these big-name guys. Arthur, how, how surprised is the organization that Lafreniere – specifically hasn't been able to really find himself in the NHL this season. Um, I think most Canadians remember watching this guy at the World Juniors and thinking, wow, this guy's almost NHL ready right now. Yeah, I, I think everybody is surprised. And, I, you know, I think he was such a consensus top pick that I don't know you worried too much about motor, character, things, you know – character may be a bit strong but it just uh, that it, you don't really think about is this guy a self-starter is he going to be able to get himself out of a rut is he going to put in the work and the dedication in the summertime coming into the season to to uh to really 
you know, affect the change and get better. Um, so I think there's been some surprise and I'm sure that he too is a little surprised that it hasn't come together as quickly. And, and I think circumstances dictate a little bit of it too, that, you know, he came to a team that had already had just signed Artemi Panarin to a long-term deal. They had Chris Kreider on a long-term deal. So those are, those are two of your, t- you know, that's, that's left wing one and left wing two in, in almost any team. So Lafreniere either had to kind of embrace playing on his off wing or he had to just kind of bide his time and it just hasn't quite mixed as well as they thought it would on the third line. He he's definitely played his best uh, playing with his fellow young guys, Kako and Heedle. And I think Gerard Gallant is probably going to stick with that for the, for the near term or as long as he can. And, uh, and maybe that will snap Lafreniere out of it, but, but it's definitely been, uh, it's been a, it's been a strange time, I think for Lafreniere and it's been a strange time for the organization. And, and obviously you throw that B word around bust. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think circumstances and maybe a little bit of a, a shell shock as a pro is, is kind of what's kept him where he is. Uh, Arthur, we're right up against it for time, but I did want to ask you before we let you go, if you look at the standings right now, uh, it is pointing towards a potential Rangers-Devils first-round playoff matchup. Uh, Canucks fans got to see the Devils a couple nights ago. They'll get to see the Rangers tonight. Um, how much time have you spent actually thinking about this? Are the fans excited about this, or is it still too early to try and get excited about a Devils-Rangers first-round series? No, I think it would be great. You know, we haven't had a lot of, lo- I think the last local series between any of the three teams around here was when the Rangers and Devils played uh, in the Eastern Conference Final in 2012. So um, it's been a long run of, of not having even two of the teams good at the same time. So I think the just the interest level would be great. And the way the Devils are playing, uh, you know, Lindy Ruff was a Rangers assistant before he went over to take the head job with Jersey. So there's a lot of ties there. Jack Hughes and the Capococco going 1-2 in their draft. Uh, so there's a lot to there's a lot to compare, and I think the you know the the animosity would build up pretty fast uh, heading into a series like that. So it would be great. Arthur, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. I'm sure we'll be talking later in the season, or maybe closer to the deadline if the Rangers do anything big. Got it, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank Thanks, you. Arthur. Uh, Arthur Staple from the Athletic. One of our favorites. We've known Arthur for a long time now here on the Halford and Brock Show on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> he used to cover the Islanders. It's very confusing, actually, sometimes mm-hmm. because they're both called New York. And I'm like, wait a minute, what What are we asking Arthur about? Is it the Islanders or the Rangers? I can't remember. Yep. And then Kevin Kurz now covers the Islanders, who used to cover the San Jose Sharks for very so long. Very confusing. And also used to cover Philly. That's right. Why can't they just stay at their same jobs forever? These media guys always getting traded. Jumping around. Yeah. Bed to bed. Um. So I was thinking about uh, another former Canuck when talking about Lafreniere and just his struggles. And clearly the Rangers are like, wait a minute, is this guy working hard enough? Like clearly that's what he was insinuating. Is he working hard enough? Is he he committed? Do you see our old friend Jake Vertanen? Over in Switzerland, uh, Patrick Uh, Johnston. Swiss second division. Patrick Johnston had the story in the province yesterday. Uh, Vertanen has apparently been dumped by his Swiss club on the eve of the playoffs. And Patrick was reading, taking this information uh, from a report in a Swiss newspaper. Vertanen got into an altercation with a teammate on the bench near the end of a game last month and has been dismissed from the team. Apparently not the most popular teammate Mm -hmm. in Switzerland, and it got to the point where um, one of the players 
basically went to the coach and says, it's him or us. And uh, <laughs> the Swiss team chose him. So Vertanen has gone from, uh, do you remember earlier in the season, he had a PTO with the Oilers. Yes. And he didn't do anything with that. Oilers fans wanted him to make it. They were all clamoring for him to do something, and he, and didn't, he do, didn't do anything. He didn't, then, do, but, he didn't do anything, and then he went to and then he went to Russia, and of course, global events interceded in that one, and he ended up in the Swiss second division, where he actually was putting up points, he was scoring goals because it's you know the Swiss second division, and this is a guy that's played in the NHL before and scored in the NHL, but now he's even out of that league. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this. Um, yeah, it's too bad. Uh, I don't know what Jake Furtanen's future is. It won't be in the NHL, but I don't know if he's going to keep playing hockey. Yeah, I don't. I mean, what do you want? I mean, the, here's the issue with this: uh, there's nothing really to add to the story. No. Uh, and then if you go back and do the revisionist history thing, you're you're just kind of banging the same old drummer, playing the greatest hits, right? I mean, all, it's one of the worst draft picks in Canucks franchise history in terms of how his career panned out, and then how damaging it was to the club in terms of a wasted asset. Like, that's it, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, it was Shotgun Jake and all that, which seems like forever ago now. Um, it was – it's all just – like, it's a big waste, to be honest. It was a, it was a crappy development. In a, and it's weird because that draft class of 2014, Vertanen, McCann, Demko, Triamkin, Forsling, under any other circumstances, you're like they did a great job in that draft class. Like that's <laughs> look at five, all these NHL players. Five they found. guys that all played in the NHL. It's really tough to do from one particular draft class. But, Missed on the big one, but it'll always and be wasted that. assets. Otherwise, it'll always be that, right? Like they they traded yeah. away McCann too early, uh, and they didn't they didn't bring him along properly and uh, properly. And they were like, why is this guy getting cocky? I don't know. Probably because you put him in the NHL so early. Um, so and it, then yeah, also oh, Forsling Forsling was essentially given away. Yeah, so you just kind of look at it and you're saying, do you really want to drum up the past? Do you really want to nah. rehash all of these terrible things? Not particularly. It just sucks. That's so it. let's look forward to the Vancouver Canucks. They start three games in four days. I'm not going to say nights because here how it go- here's how it goes. Tonight they're in uh, Manhattan to play the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. And then tomorrow, tomorrow's the big one, obviously. Uh, they're playing the Islanders. Uh, Bo Horvat scored in his home debut for the Islanders yesterday. Yeah. The Isles have now won four in a row, so they're feeling it. That's going to be a huge game, not only for the Islanders, because they just need to keep winning mm-hmm. in order to get into a playoff position, but obviously for the Canucks as well. And then Saturday, remember this one. And I remember this because Shorty actually mentioned this on a broadcast. Okay. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have noticed. Saturday, their game in Detroit – 9 a.m. start our time. So 9 a.m. So it's a crazy sports weekend because it's Super Bowl weekend, but it's also the Canucks are playing Saturday morning at 9 a.m. So if you wake up and you turn on the TV Saturday morning and it's the Canucks game, it's not a replay of a game. Live sporting event. That's an actual game. Uh, The Red Wings are – they actually – the Canucks play back-to-back against the Red Wings because they play them Saturday in Detroit and then Monday – when they return home to Rogers Arena, I wonder what the Red Wings are going to do with Dylan Larkin. They stink right now. They're not good. <laughs> but but <laughs> but good. has Steve Eiserman? We talked about this when you were gone, by the way. So this is good. We're bringing this up. Has Steve Eiserman drawn a line in the sand that he is not going to pass? And he's basically saying, like, like could Dylan Larkin 
get traded at the deadline. Yes. We talked about this on Friday because Larkin was at the All-Star game representing the Detroit Red Wings. Mm -hmm. And as one of those guys that didn't have a contract beyond this year, got asked a lot of questions about his future in Detroit. Now, the interesting thing was, is uh, verbally anyway, he went the Bo Horvat route. Mm -hmm. and was like, you know how Bo said I thought I'd be a Canuck for life? Uh, Larkin said, well, I I think that I, I can't see myself playing anywhere else than Detroit. To which everyone else said, well, we can. Mm-hmm. Because it's gotten to this point, they've gone this far down the road without a contract extension. It's very unique and very strange. And I wondered on Friday if part of this had to do with the fact that Larkin represents, and see if you've heard this before, <laughs> a previous regime and a previous leadership group. Mm-hmm. But now the team is almost in the hands of Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider and other guys, and they've got a new head coach. Yeah, in this sounds familiar. Yeah, right. You just kind of you start connecting the dots, and you're like, "Is there a common theme here?" Mm-hmm. So I, but want- I also think just Iserman when he was in uh, Tampa Bay, he was known for here's my final offer, and I'm serious about this. Yeah, and that and the and the Canucks did that with Horvat. It just happened to be a really low final offer, mm-hmm. right? And where something he's like, "I'm not taking that." Right. And I, you know, so I, I'm sure all of this plays into it. But you look at the situation. Detroit, uh, this year's probably been a disappointment for them, if we're being honest. They probably thought that they were going to take a step. You know, they do have the reigning Calder Trophy winner in Mo Sider, who looks like he's going to be a superstar on the blue line. They made some moves in free agency, and they're not really in that playoff chase. You know? it's mm-hmm. It feels like a disappointment. Like, if Ottawa is closer to the playoff, because it is, right? Ottawa is closer to the playoff bar than Detroit is I at the moment. So. Yeah. So you look at it and you're saying, well, maybe you can continue. Maybe this is a year where you didn't move forward and you got to keep building. And maybe, I mean, Larkin would fetch you an awful lot out yep. at the deadline. If you're looking mm-hmm. at the Horvat example is, you know, the, the bar has been set. Well, especially if they allow him to talk extension with another team. And again, that's, I mean, they didn't let Horvat do it. Wink, wink. But, mm-hmm. you know, lo and behold, days after he got traded to the Islanders, he signed an eight year extension. So that's a really interesting one for me because, well, two things. One, God, I would love for some moves to happen at this deadline because right now it's shaping up to be kind of boring. And then two, Larkin could really shift the tables. He's a very good player. Yeah. I mean, he's an all-star, and Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily in his quote-unquote prime, but he's still going to be a very good, useful player for a long time. I do wonder if it could shift the balance for a team, not just, as you said, for this this year, but if you sign him to an extension, that's a big ad for a lot of teams. You know who I hope – you know the the trade that I want to see? I want to see Patrick Kane to the Rangers. Yeah, I want to see him reunited with Panarin and then go against Jack Hughes in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, that would, that be, would be incredible. Yeah. The, the amount of skill on the ice would be incredible. Yeah. We've got an open segment on the other side, don't we? I think we do. So anything you want to discuss – Text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at dunbarlumber.com. Questions, comments, topics that you want us to discuss. Text them in, 650-650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think they've got some long-term decisions to make about, you know, 
where they're going, not only on the ice, but off it. You know, their front office, uh, who's going to be there long term and who isn't. But the one thing I, I think about with Rutherford is that he knows that if he was to walk away, this would probably be the end. 7.33 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, you are listening to Sportsnet 650. In addition to being... Your home of the Canucks, and having a very handsome morning show. Uh, Sportsnet 650 is also teaming up with the Clayton Public House to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday. That's this Sunday, February 12th. Uh, that'll be hosted by Randy Janda and Dan Riccio. You can reserve a table now at theclaytonpub.com. Uh, we'll have tailgate and drink specials plus prizing throughout the day. Kickoff is at 3.30 on Super Sunday. The Clayton Public House. Good food. Good people. Good times. Do you like that? Makes you all warm and fuzzy inside. Mm -hmm. You really put a lot into it. I enjoy it. Speaking of uh, your adorability and being warm and fuzzy, so we got a text in to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. The unsigned texter, so it must be Gary, wants to know that in the wake of LeBron James breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record, if you watched the game yesterday, they stopped the game midway through so that LeBron could celebrate with Kareem and make a little speech. The question is, do you think the NHL is going to do the same thing when Ovechkin beats Gretzky's goal-scoring record? And I said, ah, oh, probably not. And then Andy, God, you're adorable. I love you. I love your innocence so much. You're like, really? You don't think so? I'm like, yeah. Come I on, think- guys. Line up for the face-off. We got to go here. <laughs> I said, they're just going to take some tape and put it on the pocket and then Ovi. <laughs> What is it, 905 or whatever it is? Throw yeah. it to the trainer. Put yeah. this away. Yeah. Eight one goals. He doesn't even celebrate. He, he just takes a picture with it him. afterwards. But what I, if they don't? They, they, they will, Andy. It'll what be one if of they don't. I mean, it'll it be is. one of the biggest moments. If it happens, let's let's still say if, if it, it happens, happens guys. It happens. Like when everyone's like, when it happens, I'm like, if it happens, um, yeah, they'll stop the game. Like the, like the amount of, he'll be there. The amount of hype that's going to be following Ovi. Yeah. Um, leading up to that record, and it'll be interesting, you know, if this if this comes to pass, um, they're gonna have to start doing that, like when he's four goals away. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the most um, incredible Gretzky moments was when he was going for fifty goals in fifty games, and he got five goals in game thirty nine. Yeah, in order to hit fifty, right? And the fifth one was into an empty netter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one expected it to happen on that night, but it did, right? So you're going to have to basically, like, Ovi is perfectly capable of scoring four goals. There are there's certain records, and I don't know why. I've thought about it a lot, actually. And I think some of it has to do with the anticipation, and some of it has to do with how iconic. There are certain records that are just iconic, right? It's Gretzky's goal scoring. For some reason or another, Gretzky's goal record is more iconic than his points record, and I don't know why. Well, goals are the the yeah. biggest thing in hockey, right? That's um, what everybody yeah. wants to get. Uh, it's funny because Kareem's scoring record. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I I didn't hold it with like this aura or esteem. 
to be if, if we're being honest, the NBA record that I think is the most iconic is Wilt Chamberlain scoring a hundred in a game. Because remember, there's the sign, right. the picture, the, the, the unforgettable picture of him hold, holding up a hundred. Mm-hmm. But like Gretzky's goal record, maybe it's because it happened against the Canucks. I don't, I don't know. Well, that wasn't the one he said. That was no, I, yeah. I know. Well, you finished with nine hundred two, right? But yeah, wait, but I, I don't know. But there's something about it was that nine hundred two. Was eight ninety four or something? Eight, like. nine, whatever it is. Well, you're just making numbers up. All I'm over not. The I'm place. Re- I was like eight off. Like it's reasonably close. <laughs> what you're just saying the number doesn't hold the same clout. Like what about Pete Rose, the the hits leader? Does that hold the same clout as the the goal? And leader? but I'm talking about breaking it. And I think yeah. something has to do with like you, you know you're the it's a chase and you'll say mm-hmm. like there'll be Ovechkin watch five five games out right right where you're like okay we really got to start paying attention mm-hmm. now and it'll it'll I mean but the thing is is like this has been building for what feels like three or four years already I think for me uh the Gretzky record is so incredible that Ovechkin is maybe going to break it because I never ever 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 thought that Ovi would do it. Yeah, that's a big part of it. It never seemed, thought. It seemed untouchable. Never thought. I didn't, but, but to also to be fair, I never put much thought into the basketball one. Maybe there's... I didn't either. Uh, there, maybe there's there's some hardcore basketball fans that are as hardcore basketball as I am with hockey that that have been charting this thing. I don't know, right? So, I, I but, but for me, the hockey one has... It's needed a bunch of things to happen. It's needed the game to open up. And it's also needed a bit of a resurgence from Ovechkin himself. Uh, maybe people have forgotten that Ovi's scoring was way down. Like, what is it now? Eight or nine years ago? Mm. Like he he was his his twenty twelve his stock Hunter, his yeah. stock yeah yeah when Dale Hunter took over as head coach of the Capitals like Ovi's stock was way down. Jay Beagle was getting more playing time. Yeah, he had not won the Stanley Cup. There was a lot of criticism of Ovechkin that he didn't play defense, that all he was out there was this guy that would just load up for the shot and all he cared about was scoring goals. Yep. And to be fair, while the criticism was way too much, there was something to it. And I think Ovi has changed his game a little bit. Just not on the power play. Right, he's just still. <laughs> like, like, you don't. You, you see don't that video that was going around, where he just stands there for literally twenty seconds, yeah, and then he's what he does. I have so <laughs> much. Does. I have so much. No, no, no. But but, but hold on a second. Like I think Barry Trotz helped his game a lot. I agree. I think there was a sense that he had to become a more complete player and mm-hmm. a more determined leader. Like that Stanley Cup run was very fun to watch because a awesome. lot of people were pulling awesome. for the guy yeah. because he had sort of been through the trials and tribulations. Been and been through the, the tough parts, just endless playoff disappointments. And then you really saw, I mean, there in the last five, ten years, I don't think any singular player has enjoyed winning the Stanley Cup more than Ovechkin. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or any trophy, yeah, he, <laughs> or any trophy. Yeah, just he winning. partied hard. Yeah, but that, and, but all of it seemed genuine and honest and yeah, earnest. True. And like, the fulfillment of man, I went through some struggles and I didn't think I was ever going to win this, and then I did, and now it's time to drink beer really for three months straight. DJ and Cultus Lake takes uh, text in trade question Demko for Brent Clark. Who says no? Well, it's Brant Clark, and he's the young defenseman for LA, and LA would so- say no to that. The nineteen-year-old right-shot defenseman who's really good. You're not trading that for a goalie. You could put together some sort of package deal, no, but it's not no, like straight up it's not gonna no, happen no it's not i mean well, well canucks would have to add 
a lot to make to make that happen. But LA does have some other defensemen in the organization. They're and not crowded blue line. They're not they're not blue chippers. But if you look at that, was it Manchester where they play? Where their AHL team is Ontario. Ontario, Ontario, right. It's not Manchester anymore. Ontario, California. Ontario, the Ontario Reign. They, they've got some good young defensemen in that organization. And this is something that like, Sat talks a lot about with Reach. Like the LA Kings do make sense as a trade partner for the Canucks with Demko, but I don't think you're getting Brant Clark out of that organization. Good, um, um, good, a good Manchester Monarchs reference there, by the way. God, getting old. They're not even in the AHL anymore. We used to we used to do a lot of writing about the Manchester Monarchs. Where's Manchester? That's back east, isn't it? Uh, yeah, New New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, Kevin in North Van texts in. I'm no businessman, but I always wonder why Canucks ownership, a franchise that had so much success under a quote unquote progressive GM in Mike Gillis, has ever since gone the other way to the quote unquote hockey men Benning, Rutherford, and then Kevin notes, and now Dale Talon's name. Is popping up. Well, I think you just have to follow the um, the narrative. So yes, they did have success under Mike Gillis, and then what happened? What was the Achilles' heel of the Gillis group drafting? Yeah. So what did they do? How do you react to that? Well, you go out and get a scout. Yep. And then Jim Benning came in, and well, what was his weakness? I think it was like administration. Yeah and stability and just doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. So you bring in Jim Rutherford, one of the most experienced hockey guys out there. Now, has he brought stability to the front office? He has not. But that was the idea. You basically just have to, like, if you look at the, uh, I don't know, if you look at the, the, the coaching story, it usually goes from almost the complete opposite mm-hmm. of the previous guy. Like very rarely you'll, you know, he was a player's coach and he was replaced by a player's coach because what happens, right? The players get comfortable with a player's coach and there's a quote unquote country club atmosphere. So they go to a, they go to a hardliner and then that hardliner comes in and hopefully gets some results because the players get a kick in the butt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then what do you hear? Oh, those messages run thin. So you bring in, uh, you know, another players coach, or maybe your team gets young. So you need to bring in a guy that's really good with young guys, or maybe your team is at the point where the young guys have graduated, but now you need an experienced coach that can get over the hump. So you bring in that guy. Like, it's all just about the narrative. You're saying everything's reactionary. Everything's reactionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything's, everything is reactionary. I mean, the thing with Jim Benning is that he lasted so long. That's crazy. Reactionary is a good way to do it. To be fair, this is a copycat league the Canucks are not alone in this thinking when Jim Benning got hired you know who else got hired scout based GMs like everywhere Tim Murray mm-hmm. who didn't last very long and Yarmo Kekalainen who has proven to be I'd say a, a, a good GM decent GM but he, these were all it was it was just a movement they all were like we got to get away from this which was the pre-existing I guess for lack of a better term progressive and you got to get more to uh, the draft. And the draft is key. And the draft is ultimate. And building your talent pool is the key. And it, all these guys went with scout-based GMs. So it wasn't just the Canucks. Um, speaking of Mike Gillis, he said – or sorry, he said um, – it sounds as though he is not going to be the next head of the NHL Players Association. Mm-hmm. This was a big story yesterday. I mean, I, you Matty, know what? Matty Walsh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. got it. He's from Manchester. Yeah. He's not. He's from Boston. Um 
one, Frank Saravalli on Daily Faceoff broke this story, but he also broke it in the political sphere as well. Mm-hmm. So all the replies to his tweet were like political pundits, and they're like, look at this, a hockey guy breaking fairly big news mm-hmm. that the U.S. Secretary of Labor was leaving <laughs> to go become the head of the NHLPA. Now, did you know he was the designated survivor? I read that yesterday. Right. That is crazy to me. So for those that- was, This guy was nearly the president. So this Kinda. was- Well, okay. Um, <laughs> it was the State of the Union yesterday, right? So they leave one guy behind. The idea is to, this is the quote, preserve the government's line of succession in case of an attack or another incident at the Capitol where the president, vice president, speaker of the house, and the rest of Biden's cabinet are gathered. So they're like, Marty, if everyone dies- <laughs> You're, you're president. You're up, bud. You're <laughs> up. Yeah. Imagine, imagine getting that and, gig. And, yeah. And, yeah, and by the way, Marty, it's going to be real challenging. <laughs> and he's like, and if you if that does happen, you are not taking the NHLPA job. Well, you know what it says on your resume? You're the designated survivor. Yeah. Could you yeah. please speak to that? So Can I, you imagine this? Like, uh, dear NHLPA, I will not be able to take this job. Some stuff happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's a note from Marty's mom. It's like, he's the president now, so you can't take him. Anyway. Point being, this is a huge story, massive story, because it crosses that spectrum. It crosses the aisle from mm-hmm. sports to, you know, important things. Um, the Marty Walsh hire has about eight different really important dynamics to it. So one of them is which um, he's very clearly taking this job because he's a huge hockey fan. He's a huge Bruins fan. He's been a season ticket holder for a long time. Did you see the part where he actually got tossed from a game? In the mid '90s, no, that's awesome. He, though. Yeah, well, not that awesome because he had a problem with alcohol. Oh. He, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to set you up for that. Damn one, it. But, yeah, that's still kind of awesome. Uh, yeah, like, I don't say anything too more. Don't say anything too far. But anyway, um, he also I thought he was just like angry at the Bruins power play. Well, or he something. probably was, but he was also <laughs> under the influence of alcohol. So that was a big part of his. Story. He is 18 years sober or something like that. Yes, now. that's yeah. right. That, yeah. that was actually the tipping point for that. Right. Anyway, um, the other po- the part of it is that he's got really deep connections to Jeremy Jacobs because Mm -hmm. the Jacobs family was a major campaign backer during the two stints that uh, he served as the mayor of Boston. So that's hard. Do you think people are going to bring that up? So the other part of this, (laughs) as he says that, is that apparently somehow, somehow in the vetting process for Marty Walsh to be... Like the search firm that was doing this. They missed this key piece of information. (laughs) That the Jacobs family were major campaign contributors when he was the mayor in Boston. I don't know how. Right. I am, again, a not-so-bright morning talk show radio host in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Correct. Even I... Clip that. Even I thought of that right away. I'm like, the mayor of Boston, I wonder if he's familiar with one of the most wealthy individuals from Boston, mm-hmm. Jeremy Jacobs. And a guy that has, you know... A lot of influence. The mayor of Boston. A lot of influence in the ownership. The mayor of Boston. And now the U.S. Secretary of Labor is a huge Bruins fan. Mm. Do you think he's ever met Jeremy Jacobs? The NHLPA deal is terrible for everybody (laughs) except (laughs) the Bruins. They get out great. (laughs) Why did they get an extra? Do we have Frank on tomorrow? Yeah, we do. do. Okay, so we'll talk to Frank about that. And hopefully we'll get someone from the NHLPA. Hopefully Matty Walsh. That'd be we'll, awesome. We'll we, have reached, we have reached out. Yeah. yeah. Um, if we stop mocking his accent, he might be more likely not, to join. I'm not, the- <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mocking anything. Uh, so we said earlier in the show, and someone texted in about this, that we would um, go through the Canucks front office as it currently stands because Elliot Friedman yesterday said, 
he was talking about Jim Rutherford's future, but while talking about Jim Rutherford's future, he said, I think the Canucks have some long-term, quote-unquote, long-term decisions to make about the front office. Um, do we actually have that audio queued up right now? Probably not. But if he basically said, like, the Canucks have to determine whether or not they're, like, which people are going to stay and which people are going to mm-hmm. go. So forget about that, laddie. Don't worry about it. Um, here's the front office right now as it shows up on the Canucks website. Jim yeah. Rutherford is the president of Hockey Ops. Still there, right? Eh? Patrick Alvin, the general manager. The third guy to, to show up is Stan Smeal, and he's the VP of Hockey Ops. And the only reason I'd wonder about his future there is, remember we heard these rumors about like someone might retire sure. in the Canucks front office? I think it was Rick Dollywall. Mm-hmm. That heard that, and then people were like, "Was it Jim Rutherford?" Like, because that's a big deal. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe it's maybe it's Stan Smeal. He's sixty-five years old. That's retirement age. I think he just turned sixty-five in January. Remember, so remember when he was GM? Yeah, man, right. He was GM. It was a short stint, but he was there. Um, Emily Caston Gay is the assistant general manager, and um, I don't know if it's fair to speculate about this, but we speculate about everything else. But I mean, she she was part of this Rachel Dory story. Which I don't know. Maybe they maybe still hanging in the balance. Yeah, I mean, there was there were some pretty um, uh, serious allegations against her that didn't make the hockey club look too good. Um, you know, when 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 they show the Canucks brain trust on TV, the ones that are sitting together are Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvine, Emily Castongay, and then Cami Granado who's the other assistant general manager. Well, actually, there is another one, Derek Clancy. I don't even think he lives in Vancouver. I don't even know what Derek Clancy looks like. Clancy. What do you look Clancy. like? Clancy! What do you look like? So, um, Ryan Johnson is there as well. He's the assistant to the general manager. Yeah. He's not the assistant general manager. He's assistant to the general manager. He's also the general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. And then Dale Talon is there as a senior advisor as hockey ops. And the Sedins are there yeah. under the player development role. So I have lots of questions. When when Fridge brings something up, he's like, there's some guys that they have to make some long-term decisions. I shouldn't say guys. I should say people that there are they're going to have to make some long-term decisions there. Who's going to stay and who's going to go? I know everyone will be focused on Jim Rutherford mm-hmm. and not wrongly. But maybe there's some other ones there that they're kind of like, maybe you're not the right fit here. I mean, I noticed this trend when it flipped over to the coaching side of things. I'm like, they got a lot of coaches on this team. And then I started looking at the front office as you laid out. I'm like, this is a big front office. There are about six to seven people in positions of prominence where you're like, that is a clearly defined role. Now, the interesting thing with the Sedins is, their role seems more nebulous. It's almost like a, and I think this was kind of the idea of it, is a bridge between the on-ice and the front office because that's literally what they're doing. They're sometimes they're on the ice and then sometimes they're in the front office. If you want to look at it uh, with rose-colored glasses or optimistically, it's like this is the vision of um, Jim Rutherford's architecture. Like mm-hmm. This is the plan that he laid out that he wanted to build this big, multi-structured, multifaceted, uh, organization in front office and a far cry from Benning who largely acted in a silo. There was very right. few decision makers and I'm not trying to p- 
paint one as great and one as bad. I'm not trying to pit one against the other. There's pros and cons to each one. Exactly. Yeah. The too many cooks in the kitchen analogy, I got a lot of time for that. And you the cooks too- have to be good. Right. You got a lot of voices. You're listening to a lot of different people. What happens if the people aren't that great at what they're doing? Do you get a really good, tangible product in the end? Maybe not. Same thing. When you siloed yourself off and it's just a couple of voices, mm-hmm. you do run the risk of having tunnel vision yep. and not seeing what's out there. I'm not advocating for one over the other, but if you're talking about building something out, um, Rutherford has very much done that over the first year, and it's only been a year, as the president of Hockey Ops. I guess the next logical question, as you point out, is who's long for these positions? Is everyone content being part of this big, expansive front Mm -hmm. office group? Or are some people going to say, well, maybe my opportunity to be an assistant general manager, to be a general manager is elsewhere? Because it's a crowded front office right now. Uh, text in, I'm seeing the Sedins in the future at the helm. I don't know what I'm seeing with the Sedins right now. Neither do I. I don't know what the Not future holds way. for them. I, I, I Honestly, I just, I, I just don't know. When they originally joined the management group, I thought they'd be learning management. But they seem to be more in a player development role, don't they? Like They seem to be in the same category. And this is where they're actually listed if you look at the – the website, they're listed alongside uh, Michael Samuelson and Mike Komisarek and Chris Higgins, and those guys are in player development. Mm-hmm. You know, the Sedins are out on the ice quite often. They're out in Abbotsford working with the young players, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think they're perfectly suited for that role. I would want the Sedins working with the young Canucks. I think that's terrific. But I, I always yeah. thought they were going to get, like, the tutorial on, like, I don't know, uh, Henrik would ask, like, uh, Jim, I have a question. If you want to make a trade, how do you do that? You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like, Is there how a do you, form you have to fill out? How do I get into, like, you know, like the, the scouting, you know, can you add me file to the, on the laptop or whatever, you know? Can like, you add me to the WhatsApp group with it, all the other GMs? Exactly. Could you see him um, behind the bench instead of up in the press box? Daniel and Henry? I think they'd be into coaching already if that's where they went. But who knows? I mean, they're still young. Well, look at Marty St. Louis. He didn't really have a ton of lead up to his. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I don't um, think anything's out of the realm of possibility. I'll put, let's put it that way. I think that maybe part of the tutorial is what's happening right now. I, I'll say this. I think that the Canucks should make it a priority mm-hmm. to retain them, make them happy, and advance them if that's what they want. I think that well, there are no, t- there's no, there's no, there's no telling that they'll be good at it. Like, I don't think that. Well, there's two parts to this for me. One. I don't think there's going to be any better ambassadors for the organization yeah. that could use a couple of nice, friendly faces at the front of it. Uh, I don't think there's anyone's going. And secondly, um, given some of the amicable situations mm-hmm. that have come in the past with franchise icons and ambassadors, it might not be a bad idea to prioritize the city. You also need administrators, right? You, you need real administrators. I mean, one of the problems with the, the Benning era was that things just didn't seem to run all that smoothly. And you're kind of like, who's running the office here? Mm-hmm. Right? Like there were, th- there would there'd be things that just, I don't know, fell by the wayside. It's a billion dollar business that you're running a large chunk of it. You're not running the ticket sales or anything like that, but it's, you're running a very important, you're wondering, you're running the thing that all the customers care about. Mm-hmm. And that's the hockey ops. You know, there, there are, you know, people with law degrees that can, help that sort of thing. There are people with, uh, you look at the guys that are working in Carolina, they got PhDs in analytics and science. 
stuff. Science. Science stuff, right? Fancy Number things. stuff. Like it, 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 I, I, think if, I think the Canucks should start considering all sorts of things, not just the old quote-unquote hockey men. You know, go, go outside the, uh, well, did he play in the NHL? Or, you know, has he been in the NHL a long time? Mm-hmm. Like, there are lots of smart people that are perfectly capable of running sports organizations. We see it in other sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Vancouver Canucks, are you uh, ready to hear uh, some news about Elias Patterson? <laughs> Which one? Uh, the other one. Uh, I guess. Uh, Chris Faber, everybody, as we sell this segment with a plum. Uh, Chris Faber is going to join us on the other side. Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation. We're going to talk uh, Vancouver Canucks. We're going to talk Abbotsford Canucks. We'll talk DPD, PD, whatever you want to call them. We'll do some prospect talks. We can get caught up on Jonathan Lekaramaki and his disappointing season. And we can talk anything you want. If you want to ask a question to Chris Faber, shoot us a note. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I am a not-so-bright morning talk show radio host in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Correct. Connect Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Your home for Canucks coverage on weekdays and postgame. Available anytime on podcast.